Decaying Review Print Speaking to the Blind, celebrating 40 years of audio newspaper production. Welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times podcast, recorded at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre by our amazing volunteers. You can get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram using at QNReview, that is at symbol C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. You can also contact us directly by emailing information at cunereview.com. That is I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at symbol C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M. Or by calling 0141 772 3976. That's 0141 772 3976. From the Glasgow Times, Sunday the 29th of October, from the news section. Change the buses which travel between Glasgow's transport hubs? Article by Rufus Pickles. New zero emission vehicles have been introduced for passengers using the Glasgow Station bus link service. ScotRail has partnered with First Bus for the scheme, which will see the existing vehicles with new electric buses. The move will remove 50,000 kilometres of diesel operation from Glasgow city centre. The electric buses, branded in ScotRail's iconic blue livery with Saltire logo, began operating on Sunday, October 1st and connects Glasgow's three major transport hubs, Glasgow Central, Glasgow Queen Street and Buchanan Bus Station. David Lister, ScotRail Safety, Engineering and Sustainability Director, said... ScotRail is proud to lead the charge in providing greener and more sustainable transport options. Our partnership with First Bus to introduce new electric vehicles on our station bus link service represents a bold step towards cleaner air and a more sustainable transport network. He added, As Scotland's railway continues to work on its wider decarbonisation plans, this initiative will make a significant impact on our journey towards net zero. Each year, Tens of thousands of journeys are made on the bus link service, which makes rail travel more accessible for customers making cross-Glasgow journeys. ScotRail has already been making progress on decarbonisation, achieving a 12% reduction in emissions, CO2e, since 2019-20. The introduction of electric vehicles on the Glasgow station bus link further support these efforts and help towards achieving both Scottish Government and Glasgow City Council net zero targets. Graham McFarlane, First Bus Scotland Commercial Director, said We are delighted to announce this new partnership with ScotRail on the station bus link service. Not only will customers be able to take advantage of an environmentally friendly way to travel between stations, but they will also benefit from greater levels of comfort and lower noise levels. He added First Bus is a leader in sustainable travel in Scotland, with over 200 electric buses operating across Greater Glasgow. We are incredibly proud to continue increasing sustainable travel options and I'm sure it will encourage even more people to leave their cars behind in favour of environmentally conscious travel that will help to reduce congestion and improve air quality. And that article was written by Rufus Pickles. From the Glasgow Times, Sunday the 29th of October, from the news section, Glasgow Thug Threatened to kill police officer with his own baton. Article by Connor Gordon. 
A thug grabbed a police officer's baton and threatened to kill him with it. John Wardrobe, 42, made the remark to Constable Scott Lissett at a property in Glasgow's Easter House on July 23, 2023. Wardrobe was being restrained and had been papha sprayed before being able to grab the weapon from PC Lissett. He stated, I'm going to F, asterisk, 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 ing, kill you with this. Wardrobe also punched, kicked an elbow PC Lissett and called David Houston during the melee. Wardrop pleaded guilty this week at Glasgow Sheriff Court to assaulting PCs Houston and Lissett. The court heard that the officers were at Wardrobe's partner's house after her daughter called the police. Wardrobe was stated to have been acting, acting erratically at the time. Agitated Wardrop became hostile to officers and shouted at them. Officers attempt to get him under control by taking both of his arms when Wardrop bit PC Lissett to his forearms. PC Houston sprayed Wardrop who was blind in one eye, and a struggle took place. Prosecutor Lauren Donnelly stated that Wardrobe punched, kicked and elbowed both officers, striking their bodies several times. PC Lissett drew his baton in order to free Wardrobe's arm, which was hidden under himself. Miss Donnelly added, However, Wardrobe grabbed hold of the, of the PC Lissett's baton and stated, I'm going to F... Asterix, 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 ing, kill you with this. PC Houston was unable to assist as some of the pava spray went on to him. PC Lissett went on to punch Wardrop and ordered him to drop the baton. Wardrop refused and continues to make threats. Further officers attended to assist and arrested Wardrop before taking him into custody. Paul Mullen defending, told the court that his client had been coming off heroin at the time of the offence. And that article was by Connor Gordon. From the Glasgow Times, Sunday the 29th of October, from the news section, Matthew Perry's family heartbroken at tragic loss of their son, article by Marissa McWhorter. Matthew Perry's family have said that they are heartbroken following the tragic loss of their son. The actor, known for playing Chandler Bing on the American sitcom Friends, has died aged 54. Officers from the Los Angeles Police Department responded to a radio call just after 4pm on Saturday for a death investigation of a male in his 50s, the PA news agency understands. In a statement to US publication People, Perry's family said, We are heartbroken by the tragic loss of our beloved son and brother. Matthew brought so much joy to the world, both as an actor and a friend. They added, You all meant so much to him and we appreciate the tremendous outpouring of love. Celebrities have been paying their respects to the actor, with American actress Gwyneth Paltrow remembering Perry as a young man she had met in the summer of 1993. The Sliding Door star, 51, posted to her Instagram page and said, I met Matthew Perry in 1993 at the Williamstown Theatre Festival in Massachusetts. We were both there for most of the summer doing plays. He was so funny and so sweet and so much fun to be with. We drove out to swimming creeks, had beers in the local college bar, kissed in a field of long grass. It was a magical summer. He had shot the pilot of Friends but it had not aired yet. He was nervous, 
hoping his big break was just around the corner. It was. We stayed friends for a while until we drifted apart, but I was always happy to see him when I did. I am super sad today, as so many of us are. I hope Matthew's at peace at long last. I really do. Meanwhile, Scottish public figures and Glaswegians have also taken to social media to mourn the star. Comedian Jane Godley shared a photo of Perry, captioning it, the one where we say goodbye. Singer Amy McDonald wrote a heartbreaking post which simply read, Matthew Perry, no. Actor Ross McCall said, arguably one of the most iconic characters of my time. Matthew Perry shaped many people's lives through his unquestionable talent, mine included. R.I.P. pal, sorry to see you go. Singer Sandy Tom shared an image of the late actor captioning it, Rest in Peace. Glaswegian politicians were also devastated by Perry's death. Tory councillor Thomas Kerr wrote, I don't think the death of someone I have never met has hit this hard. His recent autobiography about his struggles with addiction was brutally honest and extremely powerful. Truly heartbroken. Labour councillor Dr Surya Sadiq shared an image of Perry captioning it R.I.P. In a statement, Warner Bros., the entertaining company which made friends, said Matthew was an incredibly gifted actor and an indelible part of the Warner Brothers television group family. The impact of his comedic genius was felt around the world and his legacy will live on in the hearts of so many. This is a heartbreaking day and we send our love to his family, his loved ones and all of his devoted fans. And that article was written by Marissa McWhorter. From the Glasgow Times, Sunday the 29th of October, from the news section, Nicola Sturgeon's WhatsApp messages during pandemic deleted. This article is by a Glasgow Times reporter. WhatsApp messages sent by Scotland's former First Minister Nicola Sturgeon about the pandemic were manually deleted from her phone, according to a report. The Sunday Mail reported that documents given to the UK COVID-19 inquiry show she's among a number of senior Scottish government figures who say their WhatsApp data no longer exists. They include current First Minister Hamza Yousaf and former Deputy First Minister John Swinney. It comes after the UK Inquiry's legal team said it believes the majority of WhatsApp messages shared among Scottish Government's officials during the pandemic have not been retained. As part of the inquiry, key decision makers, including ministers, former ministers and senior civil servants, have been asked to disclose communications, including those through informal channels such as Meta-owned WhatsApp, Microsoft Teams or Signal. Mr Yousaf ordered an investigation by Scotland's Solicitor General after Jamie Dawson KCE, the lead counsel in the Scotland module of the inquiry, told the hearing on Thursday that the Scottish Government has not yet handed over messages. A spokesman from Ms Sturgeon said, Nicola will continue to provide all information requested by the inquiry that she holds and will continue to fully cooperate with both the UK and Scottish Covid inquiries. She has recently submitted her third written statement to the UK inquiry, running to around 200 pages, and expects to give oral evidence again next year when she will answer all questions put to her. 
commenting in relation to all the former Scottish Government ministers, including Ms Sturgeon, an SNP spokesman said, There has never been any hesitation by former members of the Scottish Government to provide any and all information they hold, where appropriately and legally requested by the UK and Scottish inquiries, and they will continue to cooperate fully. It would not be appropriate to comment further. A Scottish Government spokesman said that, as Mr Yousaf had made clear, the Scottish Government is wholly committed to cooperating fully with the COVID-19 inquiries. This includes providing any requested material that we hold. The spokesman added, More than 13,000 documents from the official record have been sent to the UK inquiry from the Scottish Government, in addition to corporate and personal statements requested. Providing the formal decision-making record has been our priority. The UK inquiry has subsequently asked for WhatsApp messages relating to logistics and day-to-day communication, which we are working to provide. Given the interest of the specific request from the UK COVID-19 inquiry, subject to approval, approval from the Parliamentary Bureau, the Deputy First Minister will seek to make a statement to Parliament on the issue early next week. A note to the inquiry from Mr Dawson and its legal team, published on Thursday evening, said it understands a majority of messages may have been deleted. The note said, Given the potential significance of any such material, and in order to provide a clearer statement of the position, the Scottish Government has been asked to provide a full update on its position and that of all relevant Scottish Government witnesses as regards to their use of WhatsApp and their current availability for disclosure. It is currently understood that although WhatsApp appears to have been used to send messages relating to and surrounding key decisions by some members of Scottish Government, the majority of the messages had not been retained by witnesses. The Scottish Government said that while it is not the culture to use WhatsApp for decision making, its records management policy states clearly that government decisions, however they are made, should be recorded in the official record. It previously said that reports on Friday suggesting one of the people who did not keep informal messages was Scotland's National Clinical Director, Professor Jason Leach, were incorrect. Scottish Labour has written to the Permanent Secretary to the Scottish Government, John Paul Marks, asking for an urgent update on the state of data retention in the Scottish Government. Scottish Labour Deputy Leader Jackie Bailey said, These bombshell revelations call into question what the SNP Government is trying to hide. Hamza Yousaf said his government would cooperate fully with the Covid inquiries, but this promise has been left in tatters. She added, The Scottish Government must come clean about exactly what happened here, what information has been lost, and whether their data retention policy has been breached. And that article was unattributed. From the Glasgow Times, Sunday the 29th of October, from the news section, Rangers bosses lead tribute to the Ibrox ahead of Hearts Clash. Report by Marissa McWhorter. Rangers bosses led a poignant tribute alongside members of the armed forces ahead of a cinch premiership match at Highbrox. In a pre-match ceremony, Rangers chairman John Bennett and manager Philip Camalt were joined by armed forces representatives to lay wreaths at the Govan Stadium. A giant poppy wreath made by disabled veterans at Lady Haig's Poppy Factory in Edinburgh was placed at the John Gregg statue in Edmondson Drive. A moment of silence to remember the fallen was observed by players, 
fans, staff and match officials. A striking display by fans showed the Sandy Jarton stand transformed into a sea of red and white cards that read, Lest We Forget Beneath a Display of Poppies. The match is the closest one to remember is Sunday on November the 12th for Rangers. And that article was by Marissa McWhorter. From the Glasgow Times, Sunday the 29th of October, from the news section, Teenager rushed to hospital following incident in Newton Mairns. Article by Marissa McWhorter. A teenager was rushed to hospital after an incident at a house in Newton Mairns. 999 crews swarmed the residential area in eastern Renfrewshire around midnight on Sunday following reports of a break-in. An injured 16-year-old boy was discovered within. He was taken by ambulance to the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital. The condition of the teenager is unknown. Terrified residents claim to have spotted over a dozen police vehicles on the scene in addition to ambulances. Meanwhile, a 42-year-old man was arrested and charged in connection with the alleged possession of an offensive weapon. The Glasgow Times understands that the teenager was not a resident of the home. The force has launched a probe into the incident, but revealed they are treating it as a concern for a person case. A Police Scotland spokesperson said, Around 12.10am on Sunday, the 29th of October, police were called to a report of a break-in to a house at Newton Mearns. Officers attended and a 16-year-old man was found injured and taken by ambulance to Queen Elizabeth University Hospital, Glasgow. No one from within the house was injured. Inquiries are continuing and this has been treated as a concern for person incident. A 42-year-old man was arrested and charged in connection with the possession of an offensive weapon. A report will be submitted to the Procurator Fiscal. And that article was by Marissa McWhorter. From the Glasgow Times, Sunday the 29th of October, from the news section, Women arrested after alleged assault of railway worker at station. Article by multimedia reporter, Marissa McWhorter. A woman has been arrested after an alleged attack was carried out on a railway worker. Officers were called to Pesa Gilmore Street Railway Station on Saturday night amid reports of an assault. A woman was arrested in connection with the alleged incident. The condition of the railway worker is unknown. British Transport Police have been contacted for further information about the incident. A spokesperson for British Transport Police said, a female was arrested at Paisley Gilmore Street Railway Station last night following a report of an assault on a member of rail staff. Violence on the rail network will not be tolerated and the report will be submitted regarding the alleged offence. And that article was by Melissa McWhorter. Evening Times, October 27. Opinion. Why has... The Glasgow Green Fireworks Display been axed, asks Stuart Patterson. It is a mystery of our time. Why has the fireworks display on bonfire night at Glasgow Green been axed? Was there a secret plot hatched somewhere in the shadows late at night, deep in the HQ of Glasgow life, to kill it off? We may need to get Sherlock Holmes, Hercule Poirot, or maybe even Mystic Meg to find out the answer.
For the second year in a row, the event, which was popular with families from the city and beyond, has not been organised with no reason given. It now looks it has been scrapped for good. It has not been held since 2019 after the COVID pandemic. Then COP26 put paid to a big gathering of thousands of people in the park. And Glasgow Life, which organises these events, has said it is not going ahead this year and has no plans to organise a display in future. No specific reason has been given. Is it cost? Has the price of fireworks rocketed? Can the council budget only stretch to squibs and bangers these days? If so, then perhaps Glasgow Life can follow the old, now dead or at least dying, tradition of what was basically children begging, sitting outside pubs and busy places with a stuffed Guy Fox and asking passers-by, penny for the guy? Could that raise much-needed income for the cash-strapped organisation? Or is it that the event does not raise enough money to make it lucrative enough to stage any more? Or has it been cancelled due to a lack of interest? Has the Glasgow public suddenly become uninterested in a night out with a big fire and a colourful pyrotechnic display? This seems unlikely as thousands have attended before. So many questions, and the Glasgow Times has tried to get the answers. But we don't know because, while we are told there are no plans to hold the event again, we are not being told why. The statement from Glasgow Life in full, again. In recent years, we have focused on delivery of winter and Christmas entertainment, aimed at attracting visitors, who will also enjoy Glasgow's shopping, entertainment and nightlife sectors across several weeks in the lead-up to and during the festive period. We have not staged a fireworks event in recent years and have no current plan to do so this year or in the future. We are very much looking forward to unveiling our plans for Christmas in due course. So, to be clear, because someone has to, the Glasgow Times asked a question about bonfire night and got an answer about Christmas. It is a simple question, not exactly rocket science. Is this a good thing, that the biggest organised bonfire and display may be lost to the city's cultural calendar? Or will it mean that people will be more likely to hold their own? It would be a pity if this were to be the end of the organised fireworks display and the events around it on the green. Many people enjoyed it. Some, like the show people who organise the fun fair on the night, rely on it as part of their calendar of events. And some businesses in the east of the city centre, no doubt, get a lift in trade on the night. There is the argument that an organised professional display is better than people letting off their own fireworks and building bonfires in places that might not be the safest. Not everyone enjoys bonfire night, or indeed the period leading up to it. In some parts of the city, fireworks seem to be let off weeks before November 5, as soon as they are available. Small children get distressed, 
and pets are terrified. A and E departments are busy with injuries, some horrific, when handling fireworks goes horribly wrong for some people. The fire brigade has its busiest night of the year, as many bonfires are lit which are, or quickly, become unsafe. The fire and rescue service advice is that they recommend going to an organised display and warning of the dangers of bonfires and fireworks. The scrapping of the biggest free organised event renders this advice null and void for many people. Glasgow loves a good slogan. The city gave us some of the best known and most successful. Like Glasgow's miles better and people make Glasgow. The message being promoted this winter is Glasgow loves Christmas. Next month, however, it is no pyro, no party, says Stuart Patterson. Evening Times, October 26. Opinion. Paul Sweeney says, removing link workers will only deepen inequalities. Uncertainty and cuts to community health services in Glasgow threaten the most vulnerable. Glasgow's community link workers are a lifeline for many people across the city. Based out of GP practices, link workers support people with a variety of concerns, such as housing, isolation and welfare support. They provide essential non-clinical advice to some of the most vulnerable people in our community, freeing up much-needed GP capacity. Link workers are also key to reducing health inequalities, providing preventative support with social issues that could further down the line become a physical health issue. Operating in areas of Glasgow, with higher levels of social deprivation, link workers are on hand to prescribe food and fuel vouchers for people going through financial hardship. While the nation is in the grip of a severe cost of living crisis, these key workers could not be more vital. And given all that, you would think that their value would be obvious to the health board, the council and the government. Yet, incredibly, their jobs are now on the line. Glasgow's Health and Social Care Partnership, HSCP, says that budget cuts from the Scottish Government will mean the current 70 full-time link worker posts could be cut to just 42 from next April, prompting link workers who picket their most recent HSCP meeting along with the trade union GMB. Cutting this workforce will be felt most acutely in the most deprived communities in Glasgow and will pile more pressure on the GP surgeries across the city, GP surgeries that have no headroom and are already overstretched. This is simply unacceptable. Health Secretary Michael Matheson just last week suggested that he might be willing to cough up an extra £700,000 to avoid cuts, but this ambiguity helps no one. Link workers faced this same ambiguity last year 
and are now dealing with more uncertainty for the coming year, with people left worrying if they will have a job in a few months. It is the latest symptom of the short-term funding and planning cycle we have in Scotland and years of council budget cuts to Glasgow. Unison Scotland is also working alongside other health service unions to stop even more cuts to a further 63 frontline community healthcare posts in health visiting, alcohol and drug recovery services and older people's services. A strong community healthcare workforce is central to tackling the mental health, addiction and homelessness crisis that affect Glaswegians. It must be well funded and not be viewed as an afterthought. The NHS is already at breaking point. New figures published by Labour at the weekend showed scandalous waiting times with more than 1,500 Scots waiting for more than three years on NHS waiting lists. On top of this, mental health-related delayed discharge has risen over the last five years. In 2019, the number of delayed discharges in Glasgow was 847, and in 2022, the number had jumped to 1,057. With such shocking numbers of people awaiting excruciating amounts of time to be seen and to be discharged back into the community, cutting these key community health workers is a step in the wrong direction and risks worsening the crisis in health and social care and will only deepen the health inequalities that have plagued our city for too long, says Paul Sweeney. Evening Times October 26 Lifestyle George Square Redesign More Trees, Grass and Statues Moved Report by Stuart Patterson New plans for a George Square redesign are about to go before the public before anything is approved. The revamp includes more grass, more trees and some statues moved to new locations around the square. The proposal for the city's most famous public square is being submitted as a planning application next week. After it was decided the square should be redeveloped, people were asked what they currently used George Square for and how they would like to see it used in the future. One of the changes appears to be more trees and more green space for people to enjoy. An artist impression image shows the whole square resurfaced and more grass areas both around the Walter Scott Monument in the centre of the square and in between the monument and the cenotaph to the east of the square. The closure to traffic on the east and west sides of the square would remain in place and trees planted at the west side. The monument and the cenotaph would remain untouched by any plans, but other statues could be moved to new positions in the square. The statues of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert on horseback 
currently at the west side of the square, would be moved to a new position outside the city chambers on the opposite side and would be positioned so they are facing towards each other. New long bench seating would replace the current benches to allow more space for people to sit. The square would not be completely close to traffic and vehicles would still be able to use the north and south side. A cycle lane would also be installed and more bike racks available. The redesign would link to the plans for the avenues extension in the streets surrounding the square, including Cochrane Street, St Vincent Place and North Hanover Street. Once the planning application is received, there will be 28 days for the public and interested parties to make comment on the design plan, expected to be during November and December, with a final decision expected possibly next spring. Work would then start the following year and be completed by 2027. The Council said that the opinions of people throughout the engagement process of recent years have helped shape the proposal. Before a final decision is taken, it is one final chance to get involved. Historic Environment Scotland will also have a role in reviewing plans as aspects of the square have heritage and historical significance. No cost has been made public on the project at this stage, but it will be funded by the Glasgow City Region deal, where the Scottish and UK governments each contributed £500 million. Report by Stuart Patterson Evening Times, October 25 Lifestyle Paisley Halloween Festival Set to return this week. Report by Jacob Nicholl. Paisley Town Centre is set to welcome thousands of visitors this weekend when the town's annual Halloween festival returns. The popular free-to-attend event is on for three evenings between Thursday, October 26 and Saturday, October 28 from 5pm to 9pm each night. Paisley has become Scotland's home of Halloween in recent years and the festival will again be set against the stunning backdrop of the town's 850-year-old abbey and historic town centre. This year we'll see a new and improved event layout. Visitors are advised to plan their trip in advance to make sure they can see everything they want to see. The action takes place over two zones. The Halloween Trail Zone is a one-way walk-through experience around the Abbey, featuring specially created unique attractions, including an interactive fire show, spooky bat cave and raven's realm. There will be a queue to enter this area with last entry at 8.30pm. The live performance zone in the area around Paisley Cross will see shows from returning festival favourites Spark, LED Drummers 
and the flame-throwing Pyro Celtica, alongside other walkabout and community performers. Other attractions at the event include stunning aerial performers flying 40 feet in the air above the abbey, a haunted funfair, street food and a toast-your-own marshmallow pit. The event is staged by Renfrewshire Council in partnership with internationally renowned circus performance specialist Cirque Bijou and supported by Events Scotland as part of their national events programme. Pauline Allen, events manager at Renfrewshire Council, said, Paisley Halloween Festival has grown in recent years to become the highlight of our annual events programme. This year we'll see the return of many of the elements previous visitors know and love, but we have made a few changes to the event site to help ensure the best experience for everyone. The main change is you will have to queue to enter the Halloween Trail Zone part of the event. We encourage you to check the paisley.is website before you come to see what's on where and when to make sure you catch all the bits you want to see. The Halloween festival is the perfect stage to show off everything Paisley and its historic town centre has to offer and always provides a boost to our local traders. It's also a great platform for our young community cultural groups to learn from and showcase their talents alongside the professional performers they are sharing the bill with. Paul Bush, OBE, Visit Scotland's Director of Events, added, We are proud to support the award-winning Paisley Halloween as part of Events Scotland's National Events Programme. It is wonderful to see Scotland's home of Halloween continue to evolve and enhance the event experience for all. Community spirit and sense of place is at the heart of Paisley Halloween. And this year's event is said to spook, entertain and enthrall locals and visitors alike of all ages. Events such as Paisley Halloween play an important role in our communities, enabling us all to connect and share memorable experiences, whilst also strengthening Scotland's position as the perfect stage for events. There will be road closures and parking restrictions throughout the town centre and there's the paisley.is website for a full list. Parking will be available around the town centre with additional event parking at West College Scotland and Paisley Grammar School. The event has been designed to be accessible. Parking for those with blue badges will be available at council headquarters at Renfrewshire House, enter via the back entrance at Mill Street, and accessible viewing platforms will be available at the event to help ensure the best views. The Halloween Festival tops off a busy October for Paisley with the Royal National Mod, Scotland's largest celebration of Gaelic language and culture having just taken place in Paisley's newly reopened Town Hall. Report by Jacob Nicholl Evening Times
October 27. Lifestyle. The story behind Loganair's refurbishment of aircrafts. Report by Rufus Pickles. A Glasgow-based airline has launched a multi-million pound refurbishment project which will involve upgrading aircraft. Loganair hoped to future-proof its Embraer 145 fleet and help meet its sustainable goals with the work. The UK's largest regional airline has completed the first jet in the refurbishment programme, which enters service this week. Remaining 12 Embraer 145s will be completed over the coming months. The refurbishment includes upgrading the aircrafts with new navigational systems to fly as efficiently as possible. Jonathan Hinkles, Loganair Chief Executive, said, We have been planning the refit of our Embraer 145s for some time now and are extremely proud to be introducing the first of them into service. It looks fantastic and I can't wait for our customers to experience their first journeys in them as we continue with the rollout of the refurbishment programme. Importantly, they don't just look good, they are also doing good. They feature the world's lowest carbon, leather and new flight management systems that will enable us to operate as efficiently as possible, reducing our consumption of fuel. They also carry sensor equipment that could improve the accuracy of weather forecasts and reduce flight emissions, expanding the work of our pioneering Green Skies environmental programme. Cabins have also had a makeover which will further boost the aircraft's sustainability credentials after the seats were upholstered in the world's lowest carbon leather supplied by Muirhead in Paisley. Douglas Cameron, Europe Aviation Sales Manager at Muirhead said, as the leading manufacturer of high-performance leather for aviation, we are delighted to support Loganier's continued expansion. With both companies based in Scotland and sharing key values, Muirhead's lowest carbon leather products are a natural choice for the airline. Our UK source leather ensures that Loganair passengers can enjoy optimum comfort with the added insurance that our sustainability credentials are second to none. Muirhead can trace its roots back more than 180 years and is a global market leader in supplying the aviation sector with sustainable, high-performance leather. The deep charcoal grey colour of the seating is offset by bright and stylish headrests in Harris Tweed, reflecting the airline's intrinsic connection to Scotland's highlands and islands. Only cloth handwoven by islanders in their homes in the Outer Hebrides from pure virgin wool dyed and spun in the Outer Hebrides can be certified as Harris Tweed. New seat belts and pockets have been added to continue the high quality experience for customers, while upgraded lighting creates a brighter and airier atmosphere within the cabin. 
Each of Logan Air's Embraer aircraft has a capacity of 49 seats and is operated by two pilots and up to two cabin crew. They have a cruise speed of 520 miles per hour, 836 kilometers, and fly three to four times daily across the airline's unique UK routes. Report by Rufus Pickles. Evening Times, October 31. Opinion. Thomas Kerr says, SNP are losing their grip on power. Saturday saw the SNP lose yet another politician from their ranks. Ash Regan, MSP, who ran for the SNP leadership just more than seven months ago, defected and joined Alex Salmon's Alapa party. This is the second defection in the last fortnight to hit the SNP. On October 12, Dr Liza Cameron MP announced she had left the SNP to join the Scottish Conservatives, citing how she had been shunned after standing up for the victim of SNP MP Patrick Grady. Many Glasgow Times readers who do not spend their waking hours thinking about politics like I do might be wondering why these defections matter to them. It matters because the SNP are losing their grip on power and it is about time. Look at the astonishing revelations emerging about SNP ministers including Nicola Sturgeon and WhatsApp messages being deleted during the COVID pandemic. If it is indeed the case that WhatsApp messages in relation to the pandemic have been deleted by the former First Minister, who has gone strangely silent on these reports, or any senior civil servant, then that would be a total insult to grieving families who deserve answers as to what errors were made by those in charge. These claims do not surprise me when the SNP government have presided over a culture of secrecy for the last 16 years. Just what do they have to hide? And whether it is for policy or personal reasons, even loyal SNP politicians have had enough. My main concern, as someone fighting for Glasgow in the city chambers, is what damage these arrogant nationalists will do to our city before the next council elections, which are not for another four years' time. The reality is when I am engaging with people in my Shettleson ward or holding meetings with businesses and organisations across the city, I am yet to meet a single business owner or family who feels that this SNP-led council is standing up for them and focusing on their real priorities. The Glasgow Conservatives have had sensible and well-meaning motions, worked up with local communities and businesses in mind, attacked and rejected, simply because it is not politically convenient for those in power. Sadly, with the polls shifting against the SNP, I fear that what their councillors will focus on 
will only make things worse for you and your family. Glasgow's elected members will increasingly waste time debating issues of no relevance to the day-to-day running of the council or to the lives of the people who elected us. They will simply be pandering to their base to keep themselves on the gravy train. What a truly depressing situation. Alongside Dr Cameron, I am delighted that former SNP councillor Glenn Elder has also joined the Scottish Conservatives. They have recognised that it is the party I am proud to be a part of who are focusing on the real priorities of Glaswegians and delivering them in a pragmatic way. Rishi Sunak has shown over the past few weeks with his net zero changes that he is on the side of working families so much so that polling now shows Glaswegians are backing his stance. So while the SNP and their extremist green friends tax our taxi drivers with low emission zones wrecking our city's economy, it is only the Scottish Conservatives who are standing up for those forgotten in Humza Yusuf's Scotland, says Councillor Thomas Kerr. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 31st of October, from the news section, Gem of a Guy, Tributes Paid to Man Found Dead in Renfrew, article by Jacob Nicol. Tributes have been paid to a man who died after being found injured in a common close in Renfrew. We previously reported that Alistair Campbell, 52, was pronounced dead at the scene after emergency services were called to Renfrew Street at around 3am on Monday, October 30th. A 35-year-old man has been arrested in connection with the incident, which is being treated as suspicious by police, but was later released pending further inquiries. Tributes have been paid to Mr Campbell by local residents on social media following news of his death. Emma Lynch wrote on Facebook, Jim of a guy, always polite and friendly, and doted on his wee dog Sinbad. David Pollock said, Was such a nice guy, always said hello. His wee dog Sinbad was loved too, always wanted a pat when he passed in the street. Alistair stayed local to me and will be missed. Pauline Anderson added, Tragic news, he was such a lovely guy. Inquiries are ongoing to establish the full circumstances into Mr Campbell's death and police are appealing for witnesses or anyone with information to come forward. The death has been probed by Police Scotland's major investigations team. Detective Chief Inspector Graham McCready said, Our thoughts are with Alistair's family and friends at this very difficult time. We will continue to support them throughout our inquiries. It is vital we find out exactly what happened to Alistair and am appealing to the public for help to do that. I would judge anyone who was in the area at the time and saw anything to believe me assist in our investigation to get in touch. If you have dashcam footage, private CCTV or doorbell footage, please bring it to our attention. I want to reassure the public that there will be an increased police pressure in the area while we carry out extensive inquiries into the incident. Anyone with information or concerns can also speak to these officers. Anyone with information should call contact police on 101, quoting the reference number 0243 of October 30. Alternatively, 
Information can be passed anonymously via Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 And that article was by Jacob Nickel. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 31st of October, from the news section, alleged child sex ring case at High Court reaches closing speeches, article by Grant McCabe. Youngsters would have had to have been devious and deceitful to make up claims they were alleged victims of a child sex ring, a court heard. Prosecutors on Tuesday began closing speeches in the trial of seven men and four women at the High Court in Glasgow. The group denied a series of charges alleged to have occurred in the city between January 2010 and October 2020. The accusations involved four children with allegations including rape, other sex offences and attempted murder. Prosecutor Kath Harper spoke to jurors following the end of the evidence in the trial, which started in early September. The court heard earlier, pre-recorded testimony and police interviews from a number of the children. Referring to the account given by one girl, Miss Harper said, She was describing, as was a boy, her normal, not a few days, weeks or months, but a significant part of her short life. The boy was said to have become desensitised to what allegedly occurred. The children were also described as having been subjected to a scary and confusing world. Miss Harper later stated any suggestion of the claims of physical and sexual abuse being untrue meant there had been collusion and fabrication of allegations of the most monstrous kind. She added it would have been off the scale, devious and deceitful as well as highly organised. Over the next few days, jurors will go on to hear speeches from the 11 defence lawyers before Judge Lord Beckett give them his legal direction. Ian Owens, 45. Elaine Lannery, 39. Leslie Williams, 41. Paul Brannan, 41. Marianne Gallagher, 38. Scott Forbes, 50. Barry Watson, 47. Mark Carr, 50. Richard Gacken, 45. Leona Lang, 51. And John Clark, 47. Deny the accusations they face. The trial continues. And the article was by Grant McCabe. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 31st of October, from the news section, Glasgow residents could make cash for their community. Report by Ben Waddle. Glasgow residents could make cash for their community by donating unwanted clothing items. It comes after a partnership between Wheatley Homes Glasgow, which is part of the Wheatley Group, and the Lintel Trust has seen a recycling bank placed at the Sandy Hills Larder. Now, tenants in Sandy Hills are being encouraged to recycle instead of throwing out old items. As part of the project, donations to the larder will see money being earned that can be spent on community projects in the area. The funds which are raised will then be available as a small grant and, when they reach £500, locals will be able to decide how it should be used. Chair of the Wheatley Foundation, Professor Paddy Gray OBE, said, We are pleased to support this initiative and deliver it at our new community larder in Sandy Hills. This is a great example of the circular economy. 
helping extend the life of items and helping to further tackle the throwaway culture in society. As well as the environmental benefits, this will also raise money that will then be spent in the local community. We would encourage our customers in Sandy Hills to donate any unwanted items they have and play a part in raising funds for community projects in the area. Kate Christie, business manager at Lintel Trust, said, We are delighted that Wheatley is taking part in a reduce, reuse and raise funds project. The replacement of the Lintel Trust Recycling Bank at the Sand Hills Larder is a great way to encourage local people to raise money by recycling unwanted textiles. Best of all, the money raised by their own positive recycling action will be invested back into the very same community. Thanks to National Lottery Community Funding, we also offer upcycling and fixing slash mending workshops, courtesy of Rags to Riches, to encourage even more environmentally responsible behaviour. And that article was by Ben Waddle. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 31st of October, from the news section, Miguel's bus boss hits out after youth terror forces service change. Article by Marissa Mitwerter. The boss of a bus firm has hit out after youth terror forced the company to reroute key services. Miguel's announced on Friday, October 27th, that a spate of dangerous antisocial behaviour had forced the operator to curtail the 51, 51A and 3 services in Barhead after sundown. Ralph Roberts, CEO of McGill's Group, said that services were being rerouted between 5pm and 5am each day following the series of attacks. He claimed a person had been directly hit by something thrown at a bus and said that manpower problems within police had left the firm with no choice but to implement diversions in Barhead. Mr Roberts said, Our primary concern is for the safety of our staff and customers. Throwing missiles, such as bricks, at a bus is incredibly dangerous. Someone could be hit directly, as they have been recently, or a driver could be forced to swear, leading to an even more serious incident. We've alerted Police Scotland to the issues, but due to manpower problems, they have limited ability to assist. We will keep this situation under review as our operational teams liaise with Police Scotland and the local community. We will reinstate the original route providing we can keep staff and customers safe. To deliver our vital public service, we need law and order to prevail. Local Community Officer Police Constable Stephen Wallace responded to the spate of incidents but claimed no one had been injured in any of the attacks. He said, Inquiries are ongoing following reports of antisocial behaviour and vandalism to buses in the Auchenbach area of Barhead. In recent weeks, there have been a number of bus windows smashed by youth in the area. There have been no reports of anyone being injured. We have been liaising with McGill's buses and our partner agencies to address these issues and officers are carrying out additional patrols in the affected areas to reassure the public and trace those responsible. Constable Wallace said, we urge parents, guardians and local communities to support us. If you see this type of behaviour or youth congregating at bus stops and causing a disturbance, then please report it to us at the time so we can investigate. Information can be passed to officers through 101, quoting reference number 2329 of Sunday, October the 29th, 2023. And that article was by Marissa McWhorter. From the Glasgow Times, 
Tuesday the 31st of October, from the news section, Scottrail issues travel warning ahead of Hamden semi-finals, article by Andrew Stewart. Scottrail has issued new travel advice to fans hoping to watch the upcoming semi-final matches at Hamden this weekend. Hibernian are set to play Aberdeen on Saturday, November the 4th from around 5.15pm, while Rangers will take on Hearts on Sunday, November the 5th from th- around 3pm. While the train operator confirmed that more carriages would be added to trains travelling between Glasgow Central and Mount Florida to cope with increased demand, it warned fans of busier services. It stated that fans should plan ahead and allow additional time for travel. Those travelling to Hamden on Saturday have been advised that separate queues will be in operation at Glasgow Central for Herbenian and Aberdeen fans. Aberdeen fans will queue for the services to Mount Florida via the carriage driveway on Hope Street, while Hibernian supporters will queue for services to Kings Park via the main concourse in the Glasgow Central Station. After the match, Aberdeen fans should travel home via Mount Florida, while Hibernian fans should use Kings Park Station. On Sunday, Hearts and Rangers fans have been advised by Scottrail to queue in the main concourse within Central Station. Phil Campbell, Scottrail Customer Operations Director, said, Scottrail is looking forward to helping fans travel to Hampden to cheer on their side in the Men's Scottish League Cup semi-finals. We are asking customers heading to the games to plan ahead and allow for more time for travel, as trains will be busy. We'll be doing all we can to help you to travel to the match as hassle-free as possible, which includes more seats on train services to and from Mount Florida and Kings Park. Queuing systems will be in place before and after matches, so please make sure you know where to go. We have a dedicated webpage with more information, and our staff will also be on hand to direct you. Buying your return tickets in advance through our ticket system on the Scott Trail will reduce your need to queue. And that article was by Andrew Smart. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 31st of October, from the news section, Women arrested after cops find £60,000 cash haul inside house. Report by Marissa McWhorter. A woman has been arrested after cops swooped on a house and discovered a major cash haul. Around 4pm on Monday, October the 30th, a team from the Organised Crime Unit acting under a warrant stormed the house in Colston Path, Bishop Briggs. Inside, officers discovered over £60,000 in cash. A 45-year-old woman was arrested and charged in connection with the alleged seizure. She was released on an undertaking and will appear at court at a later date. And that article was by Marissa McWhorter. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 30th of October. Community hub and library set to be saved from closure. An article written by Tom Grant. A much-loved Clydebank community centre and library is set to be saved from closure after a well-known local group stepped in to take over the lease. The board at the Antonine Sports Centre in Duntocha will pick up the running of the Glenhead Community Centre and the public library within it. The move comes after the Glenhead was one of seven community buildings earmarked for closure or handover to local groups as part of Western Bartonshire Council's budget bid to reduce a £21 million deficit in March.
Now the Antonine will rent the building from the council and take it under their existing lease, which runs until 2056, as well as look to refurbish the facility whilst creating a new community nursery, health cafe and indoor activity play centre. The new agreement will go before the Council's Infrastructure, Regeneration and Economic Development Committee on November 1st, and Provost Douglas McAllister, who has been involved with negotiating the new agreement, insisted this was a good thing for the area amid a tough financial landscape. Speaking exclusively to the Glasgow Times, he said, I welcome this coming to the committee. I see this as great news for Duntoche and for the community of Duntoche. This proposal will breathe new life into the Glenhead Community Centre. The centre is a very old building which is in need of significant investment and significant improvement, and just like many of our community centres in recent times, it's very much fallen into reduced use. I could predict that the future was looking uncertain for the Glenhead Centre as the council looked to review community facilities across Western Bartonshire. To preempt that, I was determined not to let that happen. I didn't want to lose the Glenhead Centre, and therefore I entered into very early talks with Kevin Carlin and with the Board of Trustees at the Antonine. I'm absolutely delighted, after quite extensive discussions and considerations, that they are willing to enter into this lease agreement with Western Bartonshire Council. The Antonine Sports Centre, which is a not-for-profit charity organisation, has been running since November 1980 and says the plan is to create 10 full-time jobs when the new community nursery is up and running and at full capacity. It would be open Monday to Friday for children aged 0 to 5. The new health cafe would open seven days a week, providing catering to the nursery and the indoor activity play centre, and focus on providing healthy food options at low cost. The indoor play centre would be a soft play-style environment with suitable equipment, a sensory room and space for birthday parties. Again, this would be open seven days a week and suitable for children up to 12 years. Kevin Carlin, who is manager at the Antonine, said he was excited at the prospect of partnering up with the council if they can see the agreement over the line. He said, Yes, the Antonine is extremely keen to help save another community centre from closure. We see this rental agreement as being a positive step in the right direction and we hope we can make that happen. Currently, the Glenhead Centre incorporates a sports hall, meeting rooms and a community library facility. Originally, the Antonine had indicated that the library facility could not be accommodated, but after further review, it has confirmed that the refurbished facility can provide space to enable the retention of a library service within the centre. An article written by Tom Grant. Glasgow Times News on Monday, the 30th of October. Glasgow City Council to order bins with tracking devices. An article written by Sarah Hilly. Council bosses are preparing to place an order for more than 100,000 new grey bins with special tracking gadgets to monitor how often they're emptied and to boost recycling. The budget for the 122,000 bins was £2.9 million, but Glasgow City Council is not revealing exactly how much it will pay due to commercial sensitivity. 
the wheelie bins would be fitted with RFID tags for curbside homes and are due to arrive by the end of this financial year. It's understood there could be consequences if the right rubbish is not put in the correct bin and possible delays to bins being emptied until the problem is sorted out. The grey bin contract is recommended to be awarded to a firm called IPL Plastics. Councillors will decide whether the deal should go ahead at a Contracts and Property Committee meeting next week. A council paper to be presented at the meeting says The contract is for the supply and delivery of 122,000 units of two-wheeled 240-litre dark grey bins fitted with low-frequency RFID chips to be distributed to curbside properties. The purpose of installing the RFID tags on bins is to monitor the level of collections from these bins and identify improvements that could be made to encourage an increase in recycling. The tags will provide information on when the bins were emptied and the location of the bin. It added, the type of waste collected in these bins includes plastic pots, tubs and trays, food tins and drink cans, plastic bottles, cartons, soft plastics and plastic film. The provision of these bins aims to increase the amount and quality of recycling collected and processed, whilst also contributing to the Council's climate target aspirations. The £2.98 million budget for the supply and delivery of the bins has been funded by the Zero Waste Scotland Recycling Improvement Fund. The Council report said the recommended supplier is an accredited real living wage employer, which does not use zero-hour contracts. As well as the grey bins, the Council will also collect paper, card and cardboard in blue bins. It's hoped that the separate bins will reduce contamination and it's understood a new policy will be rolled out to cut down on waste being mixed up. An article written by Sarah Hilly. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 30th of October. Bus firm axes services for two nights after attacks. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. A bus firm has axed evening services two nights in a row after attacks. McGill's made the decision to no longer run the 3 and 51 buses to the Ochenbach area of Barhead after 5pm due to attacks on their vehicles. They added that the measure was to keep everyone safe. They shared the updates on X, formerly known as Twitter, effective on Friday and Saturday. When asked if this would be a permanent change, the firm said that they would keep customers posted each evening on the status of the services. It comes after we reported that First Glasgow threatened to withdraw evening services 3, 10, 57 and X8 after experiencing a wave of fire-raising attacks on their buses. This move came after a double-decker bus was set alight near Silverburn, resulting in the driver forcing an evacuation of the vehicle. While there were no injuries, the vehicle was badly damaged and First Bus said it was the latest in a cluster of incidents. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 30th of October. Single mum forced to miss meals to care for her baby. An exclusive article written by Kirsty Fierick. A single mum claims she has been forced to skip meals to care for her newborn baby. 
Charlene Young, who lives in Scotston, is struggling to get by during the cost-of-living crisis and waited more than seven weeks to see vital benefits come through. The 37-year-old could not afford basic necessities like a pram or a cot for four-month-old Priya without her Scottish child payment and Best Start grant. The full-time mum told the Glasgow Times that waiting for money while on the breadline left her suffering a breakdown. Charlene said, I am really struggling with the cost-of-living crisis, so having to wait weeks and weeks for my benefits is a complete nightmare. There are times I don't even eat because, as a mother, I need to put my child first. I feel like I'm having a breakdown here and getting no help and no support. There's so much stuff you need to buy for a baby, and I just can't right now. I don't even have a pram. Other mums must be feeling this strain and struggling as well. It just isn't right. I feel so sorry for my baby girl because I can't get her things like a cot or anything. I just need to wait until the money comes through. She then contacted the Glasgow Times, but since being interviewed, Charlene has received a payment from Social Security Scotland. It comes after the mum claims she was told on the phone by Social Security Scotland that there were no issues and that she would receive the benefits very soon. However, she claims a week later she received a letter saying her payments would not be sent because they could not prove she was the main person looking after the baby. She then contacted the Glasgow Times, who asked Social Security Scotland to investigate her case and were then told things had finally been cleared up. A Social Security Scotland spokesperson said, While we don't comment on individual cases, our staff work hard to process applications as quickly as possible to make sure eligible people get the money that they're entitled to. Our most recent statistics on both Scottish Child Payment and Best Start Grant have shown that we are making progress in reducing the time that eligible clients have to wait from making an application to receiving their payment. Checking client eligibility can require confirmation of qualifying benefits from UK government departments. Successful applications for the Scottish Child Payment are always backdated to the day when a client first applied. An exclusive article written by Kirsty Fierick. Glasgow Times on Monday the 30th of October. Opinion. AI misinformation to be reduced by trusted journalism. A column written by Owen Meredith. At the inaugural Artificial Intelligence Safety Summit hosted by the UK at Bletchley Park this week, global leaders will be tasked with considering the risks posed by this rapidly advancing technology and how nation-states act together to address challenges that cross national borders. In doing so, we can also celebrate the huge human technological advances that have enabled the development of AI, presenting us all with enormous opportunities. The power of AI technology to accelerate the production and dissemination of mis- and disinformation is not on the summit's formal agenda. But with national elections happening in the UK, the United States and in Europe next year, this threat to democracy is real. More than ever, we need trusted sources of information, such as news brands, to counteract the onslaught of false information and enable us to make sense of the complex world we live in today. That's why data out later this week, which is expected to show huge audiences for local news media, is so important.
People are rightly hungry for authoritative sources of news and information. We must continue to ensure that supply matches demand. Next year's general election will see 650 constituencies elect a local MP. That's 650 local battles that will determine the future of our country. 650 individual elections that could be influenced by AI-generated false information. AI offers an opportunity to newsrooms by automating less important tasks. The technology can free up journalists to devote their energies to the incredible scoops and investigations for which our new sector is rightly known across the world. A free press holding power to account and asking the awkward questions of powerful people is fundamental to our democracy. AI has the opportunity to enhance or destroy this mission. As a regulatory framework is developed, it's critical that governments and regulators understand the importance of protecting our media sector from the harmful effects of this technology. AI cannot be allowed to use news publishers' content in any way without their express consent. This means developing robust tools enabling publishers to fully protect their content, the fuel that powers their businesses and enables them to invest further in journalism from being exploited by third parties. Otherwise, the exploitation of UK content creators by powerful tech companies will accelerate dramatically, causing untold damage to our creative economy. Legislation is making its way through Parliament to address the overweening dominance of the tech platforms. The Digital Markets, Competition and Consumers Bill will give a new regulator, the Digital Markets Unit, the legal powers it needs to reset the balance, unlocking the full potential of the UK digital marketplace and massively benefiting consumers along the way. It's vital for the success of the new regime that nothing is done to weaken the bill as it passes through Parliament. The Judicial Review Appeals Standard, which has been carefully calibrated to make the regime as effective as possible, must be maintained. This week, the industry comes together for the annual Journalism Matters campaign to celebrate the vital importance of trusted news and information to our society. In an increasingly uncertain and unstable world, the need for trusted sources of information has never been greater. Whether local or national, news media plays a critical role in keeping communities informed and campaigning on issues that affect people's day-to-day -day lives. The industry has had a tough time in recent years, but it's continued to innovate and deliver value and trusted news and information for readers. Readers are the heart of every newspaper, with journalists doing detailed and diligent work to analyse every story, to expose the truth and present the facts to our audiences. To continue that work, it's imperative that the government uphold its commitment to repealing Section 40 of the Crime and Courts Act 2013, a commitment made in the Conservative manifestos in 2017 and in 2019. The News Media Association has welcomed provisions in the Media Bill, which we hope will be confirmed in the King's speech next week, to repeal this pernicious piece of legislation. The Bill enjoys cross-party support and should be progressed quickly. There is much to be positive about for our industry, which continues to perform its vital role in scrutinising authority and holding power to account. 
More than ever, we will need journalists who continue to do this on our behalf in difficult and uncertain times. As we celebrate Journalism Matters Week, I hope that you will join me in celebrating the immense value that journalism continues to deliver for our democratic society. A column written by Owen Meredith, who is the chief executive of the News Media Association. Glasgow Times on Monday, the 30th of October. Opinion. Justice must be done for the Scottish Covid bereaved. A column written by Mike Daly. The revelation that government ministers and senior officials routinely deleted messages during the Covid-19 pandemic in Scotland, or did so after an inquiry was announced, is truly a scandal of the utmost seriousness. It's important to remember the context. On August 24th, 2021, then First Minister Nicola Sturgeon announced that the Scottish Government would establish a judge-led COVID-19 inquiry. When asked about the inquiry's access to evidence, she said it would have access to all government emails, WhatsApp messages and other forms of communication by which COVID decisions were taken. Nothing would be off-limits. Yet, at the UK COVID inquiry in London last week, Jamie Dawson KC, one of the Scottish advocates appointed to lead the inquiry, told the inquiry chair that little evidence had been handed over from the Scottish Government, just three notebooks and no WhatsApp messages. How do we square this paucity of evidence with the 2021 commitment? The revelation is astonishing because we were told that the Scottish Government operated 137 WhatsApp groups to discuss pandemic strategy, with 70 individuals taking part in chats over two years. There are two COVID-19 inquiries taking place in tandem just now, a UK-wide one and a Scottish one. Both are established under the 2005 Inquiries Act. Under Section 21 of the Act, an inquiry chair has the power to compel the production of evidence and for people to appear as witnesses before it. With a few exceptions, the failure to comply with such requests is a criminal offence. Do not destroy notices were issued to witnesses by the Scottish Covid inquiry on the 5th of August 2022, warning that evidence should not be destroyed. Arguably, everyone was on notice from the announcement of the inquiry back in August of 2021, during the pandemic. For the purposes of the 2005 Act, the term document includes information recorded in any form, and that includes emails, WhatsApp messages and notes. In July, the UK Cabinet Office raised judicial review proceedings against the UK Covid inquiry to prevent the handing over of WhatsApp messages from the mobile phone of the then Prime Minister and from other officials. That case was lost. The court ruled it was for the inquiry chair to decide what evidence was relevant and not witnesses. WhatsApp and other messages had to be handed over. They were for Boris Johnson, but not for the current Prime Minister, who said he no longer had access to them. Section 35 of the Act provides that a person is guilty of an offence if, during the course of an inquiry, they intentionally suppress or conceal a document that is a relevant document. A document is relevant if it's likely the inquiry panel would, if aware of its existence, wish to be provided with it. One thing is clear. 
The failure to provide any WhatsApp messages from 70 Scottish politicians and officials is on a collision course with both COVID inquiries. When and why were these messages destroyed? Who approved this? What about Nicola Sturgeon's 2021 guarantee? These are questions that must be answered if justice is to be done for the Scottish COVID bereaved, their loved ones and those impacted by the pandemic. A column written by Mike Daly. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 30th of October. School helps out families. An article written by Sarah Hilly. A Glasgow primary school is laying out food for families who are struggling to make ends meet so that parents can lift items discreetly. Lawn Street Primary in the Govan area leaves the food on a table near the front door so that parents can pick it up without fuss as they go by. Fruit for a play piece for children who don't get a snack at break time is also included. Head teacher Alex Nicholson said, Like every school in Glasgow, there are families who are struggling. We put the food beside the main door. It's very discreet. Parents can put a can of soup into their bag. Mr Nicholson said families sometimes don't want to admit that they're having issues, so the school wants them to be able to access a bite to eat without any formality. He said some families can be quite proud. The philosophy is discreetness. The location of the table is really important. Staff have been providing the food at Lawn Street, while Primary 7 pupils have been organising and coordinating the table. Parents have also been contributing during fundraising efforts. Councillor Christina Cannon, in charge of education at the council, praised the primary and other schools who are finding ways to help people. As well as pasta, cereal and other items which are regularly restocked, there's also fruit for children who don't get a snack during playtime. Mr Nicholson said, Some children don't get a play piece, so we try to include a bowl of apples so that children can take a snack and don't feel left out. The table has been up and running for about a year. Mr Nicholson said the idea came about because of the general cost of living and the cost of the school day. The kind gesture has gained praise from Glasgow councillors. Govan councillor and city treasurer Ricky Bell said, No one should be going hungry in our city in 2023, but sadly many are. It's really encouraging to see the children, parents and the staff at Lawn Street Primary helping those within our school communities who may be struggling with this cost-of-living crisis. Efforts like this can go some way to helping those in need. Well done all at Lawn Street Primary. Councillor Cannon, City Convener for Education and Early Years, said... It's heartwarming to see the Lawn Street Primary School community coming together to provide a helping hand to anyone who may need it. Many of our schools and nurseries across Glasgow offer similar community food-sharing arrangements where people can help themselves to essentials like food, drink and toiletries. I know the last few years have been challenging for many across the city, but it always amazes me to see just how kind, generous and compassionate our parents, carers and families are, and their determination to find a way to support one another. An article written by Sarah Hilly. That concludes this week's edition of the Glasgow Times podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at TuneReview and to tell your friends about our service.